Let's stand together as we return this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. We're looking at a series I call the Dispensation of Grace. And uh, we're going to be concluding this section of that, uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. The unsearchable riches of Christ in this passage are introduced to us by the use of three compound words, all beginning with the Greek word soon, spelled S-U-N, pronounced S-O-O-N. It means uh, uh, united, something that is shared, or as it is translated in the first word, joint, joint heir. Uh, it could also be then joint body and joint partakers or participants of the promise in Christ. And it is this last one uh, that will be the subject of our lesson today. All three of these then are declared to be in Christ and by the gospel. In Christ, by the gospel. I want you to look at that passage again in verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. This quote from the ESV has it, the promise. Uh, the King James has it, his promise. Uh, either way, even though the latter is actually more accurate to the text, either way, the same principle applies. This is a promise so prominent in the biblical record that no further explanation was needed. The promise, his promise. The promise. As soon as Paul said it, everybody knew what he was talking about. Uh, this is, to put it simply, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. The mighty Spirit of God in our lives. Jesus made that very clear in John chapter 14 when he promised that the Spirit in his role as the another comforter was going to come and he said, abide with you forever, forever. And the Holy Spirit is still keeping that promise with his people even today. He will abide with you, Jesus said, forever. He went on to say that the world could not receive him. And the reason that they could not receive him is because they did not know him. And in the world today, we are still very much divided between those who have the Spirit in them who are living with the incredible power of the Holy Spirit of God in them, working through them, and those who do not. If you want to know sometimes why we're so radically different, that's why. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, we're going to heaven. But the end result of that was that Christ takes up residence in our life and we are said to be in Christ. The glorious promise then is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Behold, I send the promise. There it is again. The promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The promise. 
Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. The promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, it continues, Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. That's Simon Peter's explanation of what had happened uh, there on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, for the promise. The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Notice as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise. The promise. The promise. It's all over the New Testament. And it all spoke of the same thing. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming in this new role. Now let me be very clear to you. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit had not been here before. <laughs> the book of Genesis begins with the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the deep, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit was here, it was active. The Spirit of the Lord came upon people. Uh, people were saved in the Old Testament. That means that they had a spiritual relationship uh, with God because the Spirit, it is the Spirit that quickens the flesh, profits nothing. But the Old Testament promised and the New Testament fulfills a promise of a new, incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit that would come upon all believers, all flesh, male, female, Jew, or Gentile, it didn't matter. As many, Simon Peter said, as the Lord our God shall call. And I believe this morning that when Simon Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost, he had no idea how many people God was going to call. He had no way of knowing. Because so much of it was still veiled in mystery. He had no way of knowing that men and women would, would share in this equally. He had no way of knowing that Jew and Gentile were going to share in this equally. But as time went on, that would all become very, very clear. Where was the promise? Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. That's what uh, Simon Peter quoted from on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and it shall come to pass. And I didn't put that in. Whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This was what Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. It was the promise. It was in the upper room in Jerusalem where the church was gathered together on that Sunday morning long ago. About 120 people. Suddenly there was a sound of a tornado. If you've ever been on the news talking about how loud the tornado was, uh, raise your hand. Uh, anybody? Nobody? Uh, we can't hardly laugh about tornadoes around here. It was the sound of a tornado wind. We've heard it, a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the sound, not the wind, the sound filled all the place where they were gathered together. The fire then came upon them. All of them had a, a tongue of fire, if you will, burning out of them. 
must have been like the fire that Moses saw in the burning bush so long ago that burned, but it didn't burn up whatever it was burning on. 120 human candlesticks, that's what it was. Those believers were given then the supernatural ability to speak in languages that they had not studied. The prophet Isaiah had predicted this in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the Lord, where the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. And Isaiah presented the gift of tongues, the ability to speak in languages that they had not studied, that God was going to use that then as a sign to the Jewish people. And it was a sign of their impending judgment. That's why on the day of Pentecost when Simon Peter preached it and said, this is happening, these people began to cry out, what must we do? Because they knew that this sign was a sign of God's impending judgment upon them. The Bible's very clear that these people spoke in languages that they had not studied. Acts chapter 2 and verse 6 when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And the word that the Holy Spirit inspired Dr. Luke to use in this passage is not just language, but dialect. Anybody who has studied and learned another language knows that pronunciation is everything. And you want to be able to speak it without even a hint of accent. That's what they were describing. These people spoke the language fluently in their own dialect, and they were amazed. They couldn't hear a hint of Galilee and what they were saying. Acts chapter 2. I mentioned that to you this morning just to show you how specific the Holy Spirit was in describing for us what the gift of tongues in the New Testament was. It was the ability to speak a language supernaturally given by God. It was a sign to the Jewish people of their impending judgment. And it is a sign gift that you do not see Again, after 70 A.D. when Jerusalem fell and the nation of Israel was destroyed. Since the early 1900s, the concept of the baptism of the Holy Ghost coming on people so that they speak in tongues like these believers did has literally circled the globe. Um, there's a whole religious tradition that emphasizes the gift of tongues above all others, and yet I've observed over and over again that those claiming to have this gift will go on trips where they preach in foreign countries by the use of an interpreter. Obviously, something is amiss here. We might think that the influence of this thinking is on the decline, but it is not. It is exploding in our world today. I don't have time to discuss all the implications of this movement in one message. We looked at it in some detail uh, some months back uh, when I preached through the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, 13, and 14. If you want to hear more about it, you can get online and look those up. 
what I can do today. And pray that I can uh, do it effectively is to give some discussion of the centerpiece of this whole issue. Uh, and that is that Paul says the promise. And remember the promise was clearly identified by Jesus as being the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. This promise then is one in which according to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, that all believers, not just some, not just the few and the proud, but all believers are joint partakers or participants in. That this promise is for every believer in Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, I want you to see this passage again. And being assembled together with them, uh, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the, of the Father. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Mark chapter 1 and verse 8 Jesus said, I, or John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What I want us to understand was that this was not a sideline kind of thing. But remember, this was such a prominent aspect of Jesus' ministry that it's called the promise. And a whole, uh, the whole, their whole understanding the whole presentation of the Jewish concept of the coming Messiah was that he was going to usher in a new role of the Holy Spirit. And he did. And he does. It didn't stop in the first century. It's still going on even today. But there's some questions about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to try to answer for you biblically today. And uh, in our consideration of this as the promise, joint participants in the promise, I understand that some of you grew up in a charismatic tradition. All of us have friends, relatives, neighbors, workers, co-workers, many other relationships with those who are of this persuasion. And therefore, as best I can this morning, I'm going to present some questions and answer them biblically uh, for everybody's benefit. Those of you who may be guests here today, you see an example of the fact that I believe in preaching the Bible. And sometimes when you preach the Bible, uh, it brings you into some sticky subjects. And we saw one of them last week, if you were here again last week. And I don't cull them. Uh, I don't skip them. I don't believe in doing that. Uh, it was 40 years ago tomorrow that a bunch of mainly old men come up and laid their hands on my head. I still remember. And the charge that I received on that day so long ago was to preach the Word. I took it seriously, and I've tried to do it the best that I can in the power of the Spirit of God. Sometimes, sometimes, yes, it puts us in some tough spots. But if the Word of God puts us in a tough spot, it's my opinion, we need to get in there. <laughs> And so here we go. I understand there's a lot of differences on these matters. This is a place where godly people seriously differ. I understand. So what is the Holy Spirit baptism? That's our first question this morning. What is this? What is the promise? If the promise was the coming baptism of the Spirit, then what exactly is that? 
And I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For in one spirit there, the Bible says, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. We saw the same basic truth in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs into the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the word baptize had a very fixed meaning to the Greeks and it has a very fixed meaning to us today. The literal meaning of baptism is to put into, to put into. So something is put into something else. Uh, if a ship was sunk uh, in the ocean, it could be said to be baptized. <laughs> you see, some things are baptized and they're never brought back up. It's put in and it stays in. It could also be used of a cloth that was dyed. It was put into that solution that had dye on it and it was brought back out and made into a garment and worn. It was baptized. They, we actually found a recipe. I say we, I'm talking about scholars, Greek scholars, found a recipe uh, for making pickles <laughs> written in Greek in the, from the first century. And of course that called for the uh, cucumbers to be dipped in the lye solution and lime solution and and uh, baptized in it, left in it for a while, then brought back out and, and made, if you ever made lime pickles, uh, you know exactly what that means. So that's what baptize, baptized mean. It meant that all the time. Something was placed into something else. Sometimes the word was used when it was not talking about the act of Christian baptism, which you've just seen this morning. Jesus used it that way in Mark chapter 10 and verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now Jesus was talking about his suffering. And this was the time when the sons of Zebedee came and said, you know, let us be sit uh, in your kingdom, be on one side and the other. And Jesus then asked him this question, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Now Jesus had already been baptized of John. We know he was not talking about that. What was he talking about? Well, he was talking about his upcoming baptism, immersion into suffering on the cross. So it's very clear then that Jesus used the word baptized when he was not talking about the act of Christian baptism when someone is immersed in water. Sometimes the Bible speaks of being immersed in the Spirit or into Christ. When it does, when the Bible speaks of it that way, it describes the common experience of every believer in Christ. When we're saved... The Holy Spirit immerses us in Himself or, in a sense, into Christ with the result that we are said to be a member of Him and also can be said to be in Christ. At the same time, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life so that Christ is said to be in us. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 said. For in one Spirit were we all baptized immersed into one body. We were immersed in the Spirit with the result that we then are identified with Jesus Christ. This happens when we are saved. At the same time then, he says the Spirit of God, there's a great word, saturates us, saturates us uh, so that we are then filled or said to be indwelled by the Spirit of God. We are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us.
This is simply the New Testament doctrine of union with Christ. You see, Paul would declare that the Lord, and that speaks of Jesus, is the Spirit. To have the Spirit in us is to have Jesus in us. And that's such a prominent thing to us that we teach our children, rightly or wrongly, to ask Jesus in their heart. Now, that's not a biblical way of praying to be saved. That's an effect of salvation. <laughs> okay? It is. That's what happens when we are saved. The Bible tells us, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we still talk about it. We understand in Christ, we understand that Christ comes to live inside of us. And he does that by the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember the great doctrine of the Trinity. There are three, but they are one. To have this Holy Spirit is to have Christ, is to have the Father. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, didn't say baptized in water, it said baptized into Christ. Have done what? You have put on Christ. Baptism in water doesn't do this for us. It portrays it for us. It is a picture of it. We're baptized into Christ. We put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all what? One in Christ Jesus same thing he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Same thing he said in Ephesians chapter 3. This is simply the New Testament doctrine of union with Christ. That's what it means to be baptized or immersed by the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, remember Ephesians 3, 6 tells us that this is in Christ. We're joint partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit immerses us in Himself. That's what it is. How do we receive that? Well, our text made it pretty plain. Uh, we receive this as we receive the gospel. But let's go on. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. Through faith. On the day of Pentecost, the promise of the Spirit was extended by Simon Peter to as many as the Lord our God shall call, men and women, Jew and Gentile, all equal participants. But when you read the record of the book of Acts, it's understandable why there's some confusion on this matter of how you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the promise. As you read along in the book of Acts, you'll see some people were saved and baptized in water, but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, the promise until an apostle came and laid hands on them. That was the Samaritans uh, in Acts chapter 8. Uh, there was Paul uh, who was saved on the road to Damascus, but he did not receive the Holy Spirit until Ananias, the prophet, came and laid hands on him again. There was the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And uh, I tell you, the Holy Spirit just interrupted that whole meeting that day. Simon Peter was up there preaching away, hammering down. 
I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, and he got to the point of Jesus Christ, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on them. None of them, nobody there had been baptized. They were baptized later. The Holy Spirit came on them. Acts chapter 19, Paul discovered some people uh, in Ephesus, and they had been, uh, they, he called them disciples. Whether they were saved or not, you'll have to read the passage for yourself and decide. Uh, but uh, they had at least been baptized. They were believers in the sense that they were anticipating the arrival of the Jewish Messiah. And they'd been baptized in the name of John. But when Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. That being the case, Paul said, well, what were you baptized into then? Because if they'd have been baptized according to the formula, they'd have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How could you not have heard of the Holy Spirit? Well, we were baptized into John's baptism. Oh, now I see. So they were saved. They baptized them. Paul laid hands on them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Sometimes tongues showed up. Sometimes it didn't. Some people were saved and baptized, some weren't. So exactly then, how do we go about receiving the promise of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14 says that we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, why do we jump up to the epistles in order to answer a question like this? Because we don't uh, get our doctrine from uh, the book of Acts necessarily or even from uh, the Gospels necessarily. The epistles are God's Holy Spirit-inspired commentary on the Gospels and on the Revelation. We get our doctrine from the doctrinal portion of the New Testament, and that's the epistles. Whenever we've got a doctrinal question to answer, like how do you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If we went to the book of Acts, we might well conclude, well, you've got to have an apostle lay hands on you. In which case, we'd all be in a mess because there hadn't been an apostle since John the Revelator died. He was the last one. So how do you do this? Well, Galatians chapter 3 tells us you receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 1 Corinthians 12 says we are all baptized in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6 says it is to all believers in Christ by the gospel. And just in case there was no uh, any more question, Romans 8 and 9, but you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit. How did you get to be in the Spirit? Because when you're saved, you are in the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is in you. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you're in the Spirit. I want to say that again. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, and He does if you're saved, then that also means that you are in the Spirit. You are immersed into the Spirit. When you were saved. And if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not saved. There's no other way to put it. And so, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is that act of uniting believers in Christ so that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
How do you receive that? You receive it by faith, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by receiving the gospel. What phenomena then are associated with Holy Spirit baptism? I could ask you this morning, how did it feel to get saved? And, and, and if, I hope everybody in this building saved, and I hope if you're not, you'll get saved before this service is over. And if you don't know what it means to be saved, please either come forward or come to me after the service. I would love to take the Word of God and show you about being saved by believing the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross, came to this earth, was buried, but He didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day after He had given His life as a sacrifice for your sins and now gives the invitation, whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can experience that for yourself today. And you'll find more, find out more about it in the experience of it than I could teach you in 10 years about it. You're not having it because you don't understand. I understand. <laughs> of course you don't. Uh, when you believe on Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And you do understand. So but if I ask you this morning, how did it feel when you got saved? Well, I might get a variety of answers. I had one lady who told me one time, she said, I felt so different after I got saved that I ran up, got out of bed, and ran into the bathroom and looked in the mirror to see if I still looked the same. <laughs> I understand that. Some people cry. Some people laugh. Some people shout. I wish more of them did. <laughs> uh, I, I, sometimes you just see that smile come all over them. People say, well, I felt a peace. Some people say, well, I, I, I just felt that uh, where I'd been afraid, I wasn't afraid anymore. I felt like a burden was lifted off of me. You say, well, if we looked in the Scripture and asked then, how does it feel? And you're not going to get an answer to that question. At the same time that you were saved, something else happened. You were immersed in the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God took up residence in you. You didn't weigh any more than you did before. It's an incredible mystery. How can the omnipresent person of Almighty God take up residence in your life and mine? It's a mystery. I can't explain it. But I believe it because the Bible says it. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 describes it this way. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, I, I'm afraid that one of the reasons why that we have so much trouble and so much confusion in the world over the Holy Spirit baptism is because we don't understand the distinction the Bible makes between being filled with the Spirit and being immersed in the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit. You see, when they all began to speak with other tongues, the Bible says they were filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Nowhere in the New Testament, not one place, are we commanded to be baptized in the Spirit. Not one. However, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It's right here, Ephesians 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And I love the story of Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Those people prayed down an earthquake. And they were all, all of them, all of them, a whole church full of people, which by that time numbered in the thousands, they were all filled with the Spirit. What is the filling of the Spirit? Well, when people are filled with the Spirit, it means that the Spirit of God is in control. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, when the people were filled with the Spirit, though it was 9 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> they were accusing them of being lit. Uh, for those of you who are not from South Arkansas, that means they accused them of being drunk. Simon Peter defended him, said, no, it's too early in the day. Now, if it was later in the afternoon, it might be. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. These men are not drunk. They were under the influence, but not of wine. They were under the influence of the mighty Spirit of God. They were controlled by something else, no doubt. It uh, allowed them to speak freely. It gave them great boldness. There was an energy about them that we would equate even with someone who was under the influence somewhat. But they were under the influence of the Spirit. When people are filled with the Spirit, God does mighty things through them. And it must be our constant goal as believers then to live our lives in the Spirit and not in the flesh. That battle never goes away. But since the baptism of the Holy Spirit is connected to our salvation, we might answer the question, what does it feel like? Well, it's going to be different for everybody, but I would say this. It is a definite experience. I begin every day praying for God's Spirit to fill me. And the reason why I do that, because if I'm not filled with the Spirit, I'm in the flesh, and the flesh is not very pretty. I'm not trying to tell you that if you're filled with the Spirit, you can speak in tongues and work miracles like they did in the apostolic era. Those miracles were associated with the apostles, and nobody has done those miracles since the apostles passed. Nobody. Not anywhere. The apostles raised the dead. All the people from around the city of Jerusalem, when they saw the mighty miracles the apostles were doing, they emptied the villages all around them of everybody who was sick, everybody who was lame, everybody who was blind and deaf and had all kinds of physical maladies, and they brought them to Jerusalem, and none of them got sent away without being healed. They were all healed, everyone, nobody, anywhere is doing that today. Nobody anywhere is being given the supernatural gift to speak languages that they've never studied and can speak at a moment's time and maybe multiple languages. Nobody. Instead, we get, be not drunk with wine, verse 18, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit 
Three participles come after this, actually four, but two of them are called together. Speaking to yourselves, that's number one, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. What's it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Spirit-filled people sing a lot. You say, well, Brother Rich, I can't carry a tune in the bucket. I've got good news for you today because this text says you can also make melody in your heart. Amen? Spirit-filled people sing a lot. They sing praises to God. And God hears them, let me tell you, in perfect harmony. Um, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled people are very, very giving people, very thankful people. And submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Spirit-filled Believers are submissive. And that's not a bad word, by the way. Nothing like what the devil has turned it into. It is submitting in the sense that we all consider other people. And we submit ourselves. We're concerned about the needs of others more than we're concerned about our own. They speak to themselves. They sing a lot. They give a lot. They submit that's what being a spirit-filled believer looks like. Let me wrap this up this morning with a few things. There may be a time when someone asks you, have you been baptized in the Spirit? I remember when I was in Branson, Missouri, when I had some men who came by the church. They asked to see me. I was in the office. The secretary called me, and I let them in. And they came in and sat down, and they told me, Brother Rich, we have come here today to lay hands on you and pray over you because you need to be baptized in the Spirit. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't get offended. I knew what they meant. I just told them, I don't need you to do that. That happened for me a long time ago. And you can say the same thing if you're saved. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, I sure have. Now they might follow up that question with another. Oh, you speak in tongues. Then you can say like I did. No. Nope. Wish I did. <laughs> i tell you what, I've preached in Romania and I've preached in Russia and I've preached in several other foreign countries and I pray every time, now Lord, you can do this again. And I'd appreciate it very, very much because there's nothing more frustrating to me than trying to preach through an interpreter. It's tough. And you always wonder if they're really saying what you said. So Lord... I sure would appreciate it, but he's never done it. He doesn't do it for all the other folks either. Do you speak in tongues? No. No. There's a growing obsession then with spiritual phenomena these days. Remember that generations of God's people, generations of God's people have lived and died without ever seeing a bona fide miracle from God. Not one time. In their whole life. Never seen an angel. Never seen Jesus. Never got a direct message from God. Remember. Remember. We live in a day when people are absolutely obsessed with spiritual phenomena. Remember that not everyone is promised any particular gift. That we all get different areas of giftedness. But this quest for spiritual phenomena is leading a lot of people today in some very dangerous directions. 
And we see all kinds of things being done and all kinds of things being claimed that God told me to do and God said that I got this and that. And when people move outside the clear teaching of Scripture, they have raised anchor and set themselves adrift. The Word of God is our anchor. It is our guide. For faith, that is what we believe and practice, what we do. And when people start going outside of that realm, I don't know what to tell you, except that I don't see it in Scripture. Every believer should constantly seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because the Bible tells us to. And the alternative is to turn the flesh loose. We'll either be in the spirit or be in the flesh. Being in the flesh, it does some very, very bad things. But the mighty spirit of God is in us. So that nobody ever has to say as a believer, well, I couldn't help it. You might not could have. But if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then you're living beneath your privileges as a child of God. If you're not asking Him to fight this battle for you, then you're living beneath your privileges as a child of God. The goal is to be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, the Bible tells us you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just that simple. And just that complicated. The flesh is sneaky. I'll tell you right now, it's got more lives than Houdini. Every time I think I've got him wrapped, the flesh wrapped up, he sneaks, sneaks out. At the most in sometimes in opportune times, the battle is real. But the mighty Spirit of God is also real. I've noticed something over the years that every time I preach on the Holy Spirit, folks get kind of uncomfortable. Part of that is because of all the controversy in our world today. It's why that I tried my best this morning to just put this out to you factually to show you what the Bible says. I'll say just like I did last week. You have questions? Call me. Send me an email, text. I'd love to try to answer those for you. But I'll answer them biblically as best I can. Adrian Rogers perhaps said it best long ago. He said, in every Christian life, the Holy Spirit is resonant. But what He wants is to be president. He said in every Christian life, the Holy Spirit abides because He told us that the Spirit will abide with us how long? Forever. Forever. In every Christian life, the Holy Spirit abides what he wants is to preside. To be filled with the Spirit is to submit ourselves to him and say, Holy Spirit, I want you <laughs> driving my life today. Keep my hands off the wheel. Submit my plans, God, whatever they might be, Holy Spirit, to your leadership and your direction. And if you need to pull me in another way, 
Lord, you just lead, and I'll follow you. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's stand together.